It's a difficult thing to be humbled. Does anyone here enjoy the taste of humble pie? I tell you, I for one do not. In fact, it reveals the more I distaste its presence in my life, how very vile my heart is, for I will be the first to admit that I am the one most in love with me. (laughs) And uh, because of that, I'm quick to defend myself and I'm quick to judge others. And that's not anything that belongs in the life of a Christ follower. And so by God's grace, he makes me aware of it and helps me to see that it needs no portion in my life. Sometimes I have trouble being patient. Anyone with me there? Remember you're in church tonight? And uh, that same level of uh, needing to be humbled myself that I would think less of myself is evidenced in my lack of patience for others, particularly my children. (laughs) Uh, Occasionally, I have uh, the difficult task of uh, dressing them. I know that sounds really sad that I struggle with that, but my wife's a pro at it. Like She can do the hair and everything, and I just struggle. Um, But getting them ready for school and getting them out the door in the morning, I sometimes find myself just exacerbated on the waiting. And come on, let's go. And how many times do I have to tell you to put your shoes on? And it's, you see how quick I am to judge even my own kids and think that I've got it all together? Well, just yesterday I was, because the weather was still nice, um, I was out putting some tools away. And though the ground was really wet and muddy. I thought my footing was strong, but it wasn't. And thankfully no one was looking, but I slipped and I fell face first in the mud. And do you know what I thought in that moment? I thought I'm glad nobody was here to see it, is what I thought. Because that's humbling is what that is. It's, it's here, I know how many times I'm waiting on my children. Pick up your feet and stop dragging your feet. And there I am down in the mud myself, having lost my own footing. You know, you and I, we all struggle. We do. And not any one of us here desires to be humbled. But humility is the quintessential attribute of our approaching God. And without humility, we find ourselves not in a unified relationship with the Creator, but in one of opposition, where He opposes those who think highly of themselves. But He welcomes those who are humble. The scope of our humility, and for the sake of our attention tonight, needs to be understood specific to the failure within our humanity. It is that which you, unfortunately, have inherited being born of sinners. It is one to which, unfortunately, you have had imputed to you by our great-great-great-great-grandfather Adam. For their mistake is ours as well. And scripture will speak of the way in which we have missed the mark that God has set for us. Transgressions, the way we offend one another, the way we break the moral code of how we ought to treat one another. Our iniquity is another word that the scripture will use. And this speaks to the way in which we have darkness within our own hearts. Iniquity is found by our actions and our behaviors. And if I ask this evening to show of hands how many people have sinned according to iniquity, I guarantee you, honest church, the whole lot of us would have to admit, yes, guilty, but by far the most devious. 
is that which Scripture speaks of as being the indwelling sin of having missed God's expectations upon His creation. We should have done better, but we cannot. For each of us has woven into our spiritual DNA a nature that is sinful. God has provided a solution for this. God has provided an answer for this. There was many centuries ago a theologian, his name was St. Anselm, you may have heard of him, and he put together a defense as to how God made it such that we can approach him. It was entitled Curdeus Homo, which is a Latin way of simply saying, Why the God-man? For Jesus needs to be understood as not simply being God, but God having come down and wrapped himself in flesh. And he's not simply man, as though a finite creature like man could make atonement for the sins of the world. But Jesus, you see, Jesus is unique. There's never been one like Jesus, for he is fully God and he is fully man. And Anselm's argument goes a little something like this. He recognizes that when you and I sin, our transgression is not against a simple finite creature, for you and I are finite Everybody understands what that word means? It means you have a beginning and a what? And an end. It means that there is a time before you and there will be a time after you. But you see, for God, He is infinite. From everlasting to everlasting. Our God is eternal. And this is the rub of our problem. For your behaviors, your actions, the indwelling of wickedness, found within you. It has offended not a finite creature, but it has offended an infinite being. Therefore, at every measure that we would have to make restitution for our sin, I'm sorry to tell you folks, but the debt is an eternal debt. And so hell and damnation, which ought to be understood as the very stark separation from God's loving kindness, how long does it last for? Well, it lasts for eternity, for that is the measure of the offense that we have committed against an infinite being. That's the problem. Additionally, the problem is you and I have the inability to make this kind of restitution, for we are finite. And yet we are the ones who are guilty. Do you see the problem? God and God alone has the ability to make restitution. But he's not guilty. Mankind does not have the ability to pay the debt. But we are guilty. So what's the answer? The solution is simply this. God had to become man. What I want us to see this evening as we look at the subject of the humbling of God. And I pray the Lord impresses this upon our hearts upon this Good Friday, is to recognize that when we look to the cross, to see Jesus hanging there, that you and I would recognize that is no mere man, but that is the Creator God on the cross. The Scripture says this in the book of Hebrews, that since the children have flesh and blood, and He too shared in their humanity, so that by His death He might break the power of Him who holds the power of, of death. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, 
in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. This is why we need Jesus. Not just Jesus in spirit, not just Jesus separated for us in glory with the Father, but we need a Jesus who wraps himself in the exact same flesh that you and I have. For we are guilty. And we are altogether unable to repay the debt. God alone can. So God himself provides the answer. Our text this evening is going to come from Philippians chapter 2. And for just a very short homily, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to take them out. Or there are some in the pew backs there in front of you. Three very short verses that we're going to look at tonight. As we seek to answer the question as to how has God provided this solution? And what does it mean for God to have humbled himself? The book of Philippians in the second chapter. It's on page 1827 in, the, in our pew Bibles. Paul here is writing to a church that has recently met a very unique need for he has been imprisoned. And he writes back to encourage them. Uh, I, I kind of skipped over the beginning of it, but uh, I probably shouldn't, seeing as this is a unity service. So maybe I'll just begin at the start of chapter 2. Uh, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being... What's your Bible say? Like-minded. Like you know why I love that tonight? Because what kind of service is this? unity service. I love that, right? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now that does not come naturally to us. Uh, we, we tend to love ourselves more than we love our neighbors. Uh, but this is the call to the believer. I'm thankful tonight that we're gathered here. Let us be those that are like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and purpose. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Verse 6 through 8 are the passages that we're going to look at this evening. Paul writes these words, Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The first thing that I want you to see as the apostle here speaking to the churches in Philippi in effort to unify them, in effort to cause them to carry a care and a concern for one another that transcends their own self-love, he will use Jesus as the example. You, you want to be united? You, you, you want to be together? You, you want to see the church of Jesus Christ? single-minded in purpose and love, you know what you look at? You look at Jesus is his answer. And as he, as he levels this out for us, he begins 
by teaching us something about Jesus. Look with me again in verse 6. He says, Jesus is being in the very nature God and yet did not consider equality with God something to be grasped here. The picture that he's using is that to stay in the presence of God Almighty, reserved from the evils of earth, was not Jesus' goal. And yet Jesus himself is fully God, which is the first thing that I want us to see. When Paul makes this argument, he begins by showing us that Jesus is God. There are, there are cults today that don't believe this. Uh, they many times come in, they knock on your doors and offer you literature. And, uh, they gather in their kingdom halls, believing a false doctrine after a false Jesus who they say is not fully God. So I don't want just to think that this is simply a, a lesson for the Philippians. This exists today. And Paul's call, such that we would be unified to begin by looking at Jesus, begins here. Jesus is fully God, and yet Jesus did not stay reserved from our humanity. Mark Twain has written um, a short story called The Prince and the Pauper. Anyone ever remember that from grade school, The Prince and the Pauper? There was a, uh, two, two boys that looked very similar in appearance and so they switch places. The prince goes to be the pauper and finds himself altogether now frustrated with the livelihood of the lowly underlings. He longs to go back to the safety and opulence of the castle. You know, Jesus could have done that. He could have said, good luck. And th- 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 there was nothing impressing upon God on our behalf For him to condescend to you and I. In fact, the Bible speaks of our acts of righteousness in this way. Uh, The prophet will say, they're like filth. Filth. He's not saying your sin. He's saying your acts of righteousness. Like the very best we can do before God creator is filthy rags. Therefore, I want you to understand that Jesus coming from heaven to earth is one that has been, is a decision that has been made not upon our merit, but hear me now, only by his love for you. It's only by his love for you. Paul says, Do not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. We're going to come back to that phrase here in a moment, but look what he says, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. The second thing that Uh, Paul wants us to see is that Jesus is fully man. He's fully man. So the the verse that I I skipped here was from 1 John. Uh, John writes, this is the very beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not only does John recognize that, but in an effort to verify what Paul is saying here for Jesus being fully human, only a few verses later in John's Gospel, he writes these words, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a word for this. There's a good theological word for this. It's called the incarnation. You probably hear that around Christmas time. For that's when we celebrate God becoming man. 
The Apostle Paul here writing to the church in Philippi, as he encouraged them to be unified, he says that he made himself nothing. How? By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. This word nature here in the New International Version is a word that is the same used in verse 6. I want to make sure that if you're doing good Bible observation tonight, you see that word repeated. Uh, Because it wasn't simply that Jesus appeared as a human, but he was really God the whole time. It wasn't simply that Jesus had the body of a human, but the mind of God. In fact, the early church wrestled with many different expressions to try to comprehend in what way could God really be man and God at the same time. They thought maybe it was a mixture. Maybe it was the nature of God and the nature of man turned into this goo that was something completely new. And they said, no, well, maybe it was nested together such that one time Jesus could act like God, such as when he's walking on the water, and then another time he could act like man when he's saying uh, eating fish or falling asleep in the boat. And the church said, no, that's not it either. And the early church understood that the only way to comprehend the natures of God is to recognize that they stand together. The, the word for this in Greek is hypostatic union. Hypostatic meaning two standing together such that Jesus, hear me now, Jesus is unique. He is fully God and he is fully man. Only two other points I want to have us to look at as we finish up this meditation. Second, or thirdly is this. Jesus empties himself by addition. Which I think many of us might need a little clarity on this evening. Verse 7 uh, says these words, But he made himself nothing. Um, I don't particularly like the New International Version's translation of this. Um, it's not that he made himself nothing, although I do understand what the translators are going for there. The word here is emptied. He emptied himself. He poured out himself. The, the reason why they uh, translate it this way is because what they want to do is avoid any incorrect understanding that Jesus, Jesus somehow divulged himself of his deity. He didn't cease to become God. He didn't stop being God. And so they don't say the word empty here. But Jesus did pour himself out. He empties himself, not by subtraction. Look what your Bible says. What does it say? He made himself nothing. How? What's the verb there? Taking. Everybody see this? He empties himself by adding to his nature humanity. And so the God of creation... The one who is present, as John told us, from the beginning. The one who by God's decree and by the might of the Spirit made the universe. He now enters into our space. He makes his dwelling with us. He becomes man wrapped in flesh. He empties himself by taking humanity onto himself. The unions here are not to be separated. And their containment in the single person of Jesus does not lead to their confusion either. The two natures stand such that Jesus is unlike anyone who has ever been born. Fully God and fully man. The last thing that I'd like us to see is perhaps the most important here on a Good Friday service. Which is that he humbles 
himself. No one humbles him for him. Nobody takes his life from him. But Jesus does this upon his own accord. Look what the Bible says in verse 8. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. The NIV here again should read, on to death. For death has no power over Jesus. It's not that Jesus had to be obedient to death as if death were somehow in charge of Jesus. But rather, Jesus becomes obedient unto death by his own will and accord. The portion that we must pay careful attention as we conclude this evening is the very last phrase, however. Because it's not just simply death. It's a cursed death. Notice Paul writes... He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore, he humbles himself by taking our curse. The Bible says these words in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone Who is hung on a tree. The Apostle Paul here writing to the church in Galatia. Is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. All the way back into the Pentateuch. The Jewish tradition. Such that Moses would record. According to the Spirit's leading. That if you hang on a tree. If this is the manner of your death. It proves that you are cursed of God. Now let's think for a moment. The rules of eternity here. God, and through the power of Jesus, makes the world and the universe. And there in the garden, He sets the rules, which are simply this. If you disobey, if you eat of the tree that I said not to, the day that you eat of it, you will what? You will die. Because you have disobeyed. So if you sin, you die. But you see, Jesus never sinned. And yet Jesus died. Because of sin, God comes in the garden and He looks and He he sees where are these two creatures I made for their hiding. And as He approaches and calls out to them, Adam, He says, I was afraid and so I hid. And then He blames Eve. And Eve blames the serpent. And God at that moment, to preserve His holiness, He places a curse on the creation. He places a curse on the ground. He places a curse on the serpent. He places a curse on the woman. He places a curse on the man. Now Jesus is not born of an earthly man. Jesus does not have imputed sin from Adam. Jesus is born of a virgin. For the spirit overshadows even her own sin. Such that Jesus is born of man. But without sin. And yet. What does it say? He has become a curse. This is what Good Friday means. This is the example that you and I are given by Paul. I long to see the church on earth unified. I long to see us no longer separate over those distinctions that we, we have celebrated in our own traditions. I long to see us care and reach out to one another. To extend bridges of care. To help one another. To participate in the mission of God for our community together. 
But that will never happen until the church of Jesus Christ looks to see what humility looks like. Because when we understand true humility, only then will we, will we be able to carry the concerns of others above the concerns of our own. Jesus is fully God and he hangs on the cross. Therefore, he's able to pay our sin debt. Jesus hangs on the cross and he's fully man. Therefore, he is a proper representative for those who are guilty. Jesus empties himself by taking upon himself our own nature of flesh and blood. And Jesus humbles himself by taking our curse. The last verse that I want to leave us with it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul writes these words. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When I was a, when I was a boy, I was uh, playing at the table on my dad's uh, laptop. One of those old monochrome screen kind, like the first laptop ever. And he, it was his work computer, and so it was valuable because it was his work computer. I understand that now as a man who worked. And uh, in my excitement and ignorance and haste, I left the table, leapt up, and the cord got wrapped around my foot. And you can see where the story's going. And the laptop comes and slams on the ground, and I pick it up, hoping to see the screen bright, lively shining, but it's blank. And so I know I'm in trouble. And when it comes time to tell him, I mention to him that the dog did it. (laughs) And now the dog's not allowed in the kitchen. The dog's not allowed at the table. And so I see my dad begin to go after the dog, and I know that dog's about to get it. And before he can, I recognize it's not the dog's fault. It was mine. And so I told him it was me instead, knowing what I might face now. And he wasn't happy. Let me tell you that. He wasn't happy. But at least the dog didn't get blamed. I'm guilty of far greater sins. You, you are guilty of far greater sins. The difference is that in my blaming of the dog, the dog had no decision in that. There is, however, one who has decided to take your punishment. Nobody put it on him. He chose it himself. He went to the cross himself. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you. That he would take your penalty. That he would take your death so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray tonight.